Hello, this is the David Eagle Podcast. In 2016, I set myself a challenge to release a podcast every single day in a project called David's Daily Digital Dollop. In a bid to streamline things so we don't have 366 podcasts just for 2016, I thought I would make these weekly omnibus editions. And this is week 10, which ends with me heading to Australia to go on tour with my folk band The Young'uns and begins with some metal compositions from my teenage self. When you hear this noise... That means we're moving on to the next dollop. Enjoy. Dollop 64. Psychos, murderers and vegans. So I've realised that the last two dollops probably haven't really depicted me as a particularly sane person, and I don't think this dollop is really going to do anything to disavow you of that notion. You are currently listening to the start of a song called Psycho's World, which I wrote at the age of 18. I'm just going to play you the end of this song. It's a very strange song. The lyrics don't make really any sense at all. I've no idea what the heck it's about or what inspired it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm also going to play you another couple of songs... One of them is called Metaphorical Murder. I'm going to play that one in full. That was written at the age of 19. And uh, the other one was written when I was 14 year old. And it was called The Vegan Song. So uh, at the age of 14, I was writing about vegans. At the age of 18, I was writing about psychos. And at 19, I was writing about murder. So uh, <laughs> interesting path there that I've steered. So I suppose maybe we should take it linearly. And we start with The Vegan Song. No idea what inspired this, but here's a little bit of The Vegan Song as written and recorded by me at the the age of 14. Don't take the milk, don't take the milk, don't take the milk for crying out loud. Don't take the milk, don't take the milk, don't take the milk, don't take the milk for crying out loud. 
is the vegan song, ladies and gentlemen. I think you can hear the folk undertones in there, really, can't you? You can see how the young'uns were born, I think, when you hear this. Uh, no idea what inspired that. I do sound quite passionate about it. I wasn't even a vegan. I wasn't even a vegetarian. It's not like it was a protest song. I don't know what... I have no idea what inspired it. But that's the weird thing about all three of these songs. I absolutely have no idea what inspired any of them. They're all quite mad. Looking back at all the files on the hard drive, I don't think there was really anything that wasn't eccentric. I don't think there was... I don't think I've ever, I've ever wrote, like, a just a nice love song or anything like that. This is a song called Psycho's World. I think there, actually, even in the vegan song, you had sort of undertones of a kind of a metal-type thing. The way I was sort of singing and things. It wasn't, you know, it was kind of a... It was quite rocky. It was really... I was kind of rocking out. I mean, I was just playing it on a keyboard, so, you know, it was just like a little Yamaha keyboard or something, so you couldn't really do too much in terms of rocking it up. But here, maybe this is what the vegan song would have sounded like if I'd have had access to electric guitars and things. I'm singing this song with conviction, Psycho's World, as if I know what I'm singing about. I'm singing it with conviction. Conviction. I'm very ardent, but I have absolutely no idea what I'm singing about. Maybe someone listening wants to try and work out what's going on lyrically here. Maybe you think, David, you've, you may have not realised this, but you've actually tapped into this amazing realm of utter genius. And maybe you'd like to give your interpretations. All I will say about this song is that Claire, who regularly listens to the podcast version, she always listens in bed just before going to sleep. And often I'll jokingly check in with her and say, is that one giving you nightmares? And she always says, no. Oh no, still no nightmares. This one, Claire, is probably the one to give you nightmares. This song, or well, the next two songs. So this is the end of Psycho's World. I'm going to tell you what the lyrics are, and then I'm going to play the end of the song with those bits of the lyrics in. The psychos are coming for tea. Be sure to put out the bluntest of knives so the psycho takes lives, sleeps with girlfriends and wives and men too. The psychos are staying the night. It's not the bedbugs that will bite. It's the psychos. Don't turn out the light. Your world is a mess. Hear the psychos sleep-talking, admitting your world is a mess. Hear the psychos confess. The psychos, they could be you. The psycho could be me. The psycho is me. Yeah. As you'd imagine, I'm not accompanying this particular song on the lute. I'm really giving the, the lyrics there, those dark, sinister lyrics, I'm really giving it, I think, the musical accompaniment that it, would, it warrants. Psycho's world, ladies and gentlemen. I think the psycho definitely is me. I think I've proved that <laughs> categorically. I've no idea what the heck was going on there. Absolutely no idea, and I'm the one who wrote it. But again, feel free if you've kind of maybe interpreted something within that. Can you imagine a three-part harmony version of that particular song there? I think Michael quite does a lot of falsetto singing. He could probably emulate the electric guitar there. He could probably do that. 
Anyway, that's not the end of Psycho's world. It then breaks out into an odd... Well, I don't know what you class it as. It's kind of like a, a flailing xylophone solo, you might say. Which I'll play you at the end of this dollop. But before we do that, here is the third and final song in full. This is called Metaphorical Murder. It was rec- written and recorded by me at the age of 19. I've no idea, again, what particularly inspired this song. See what you think about this one anyway. This is Metaphorical Murder, written and recorded by me at the age of 19. hands around your metaphorical neck it's becoming a reoccurring dream I love to hear you metaphorically scream (laughs) I'm Metaphorically murdering you, murdering you tonight I'm metaphorically winning this fight But not in real life I'll creep into your room at night Put out your metaphorical light Beware of my metaphorical bite Watch out for my metaphorical might You're always in my sight And I'm metaphorically murdering you Murdering you tonight That's right, I'm metaphorically winning this fight But not in real life Someone said there's something wrong with me And they didn't mean
Someone said there's something wrong with me. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong as far as I can see. Metaphorical murder. The line that I especially like is someone said there's something wrong with me and they didn't mean metaphorically. So I'll be back tomorrow, um, maybe with a nicer dollop. Maybe I'll write about flowers and fluffy kittens. Although on this occasion, the fluffy kittens won't have diarrhea like they did last time. I'm going to leave you with the end of Psycho's World, where the last minute, where it goes into this odd, as I say, flailing xylophone slash glockenspiel solo. And uh, yeah, this one, Claire, this is the podcast to give you nightmares, I think, this one. Let me know how you get on tonight. Folks, today sees Sheffield embroiled in yet another age-old vehement rivalry. In January, I wrote about my harrowing experience of being caught up in warfare between Sheffield Wednesday and Leeds United supporters. Today, there is an even greater tribal rivalry than that showing its face, as Sheffield Wednesday are playing Rotherham, who are a distance of ten miles from each other, three times closer than Leeds, meaning that the hatred for one another is naturally even greater than that of Leeds. There are therefore quite a lot of police patrolling the streets of Sheffield. I've decided to stay in the house out of trouble, partly because of my encounter with the rioters in January, where I could arguably be seen as one of the key insiders. I can hear the chanting from my window, with both tribes coming out with the usual jibes to taunt each other, leading to the inevitable violence after the match. It starts out with Sheffield golding the proud men of Rotherham with a chant of Our life expectancy is rising faster than yours! Our life expectancy is rising faster than yours! A chant that has been a staple in the Sheffielders' repertoire since 2008, when the most recent public health statistics came out, citing dramatic improvements in the quality of life in Sheffield. This report struck at the heart of the proud men of Rotherham, a heart that is statistically more likely to suffer disease and impairment compared to a Sheffielders. The Sheffielders then 
move on to a chant about the severe Rotherham floods of 2007. The proud tribesmen of Rotherham respond with a new chant of their own. Centenary washlands! Centenary washlands! They sing, referring to Rotherham's recently installed wetland and flood storage and defence facilities. But then the Sheffielders launch into an uproarious chant all about the Rotherham child abuse scandal. And they start waving flags, bearing the 2012 Times newspaper article that first brought this incident to the public's attention. There is little the proud men of Rotherham can offer as means of an adequate retaliation. A few Rotherham tribesmen continue shouting, Centenary Washlands! Centenary Washlands! But they soon realise that this sounds utterly pathetic and feeble against the sea of Sheffielders' flags and child abuse chants. I wonder how football chants become adopted. Does one man just have the idea for a chant and then just start singing it in the hope that everyone else will join in? The reason chants work is because they are a collective experience. And it would be a bit embarrassing to start off a chant that you've made up only to realise that no one else seems to be bothered about joining in, resulting in you awkwardly just petering out, feeling a bit humiliated. On the other hand, it must be a wonderful feeling to come up with an idea for a chant, launch into it, and then gradually hear more and more voices joining in and taking up the song until eventually there are thousands of voices singing it. I can understand how some chants easily catch on, like just chanting the name of your football team to a two-note tune, but I'm amazed at the complexity of some of the chants and how they ever become adopted. When I used to go to Hartlepool matches as a child, by which I mean I was a child, I didn't just go to the matches in fancy dress pretending to be a child, the crowd would all sing, I'm poorly till I die, I'm poorly till I die, Bearing in mind that people from Teesside pronounce the word poorly, poorly, as in P-O-O-R-L-Y, I can't say it properly because I'm from Teesside, pronounce the word poorly, P-O-O-R-L-Y, as poorly, then this chant just sounds like we're making an observation about the low life expectancy and overall weak health of our town. The other odd chant was, there's only one Hartlepool, which, as far as boasts go, isn't really up to much. We're essentially just saying that there is only one town that has the same name as Hartlepool. They're only one of most towns in the country. It's not as if a lot of Newcastle United supporters are going to hear us chanting there's only one Hartlepool and think, oh shit, they've got a point. Whereas we have to share our name with sodden Newcastle under Lyme. Man, I feel depressed now. And the fact that we're in the Premiership offers nothing in the way of comfort. Bloody hell, Hartlepool, they have all the luck. The young'un's very own Sean Cooney came around to my house today. I know, check me out. A real-life, genuine celebrity in my house. You pretend not to be jealous, but I know you are really. He popped in with his fiancée, Emily, because they wanted my housemate, Ben, to provide a witness signature on some paperwork relating to their upcoming marriage. Sean decided that Ben was better placed than me to sign the document because he wasn't sure on the validity of a blind person acting as a witness, testifying that both Emily and Sean have signed the paperwork. I'm not sure whether claiming that I heard them both signing would really hold much weight. However, despite Ben's apparent better suitability, I am personally still not entirely convinced that the paperwork is truly valid because Ben has been throwing up all day and is feeling disorientated and weak. Therefore, I am not sure that he was really in a fit state to have signed the paper, saying that he'd witnessed Sean and Emily's signatures being added. It could have been a hallucination for all 
all he knows. If there's anyone listening to this who's responsible for monitoring such legal matters, then I am presenting the facts to you as they stand, as I believe is my legal obligation. Sean and Emily definitely came into my house this afternoon. Or at least two people who sounded like Sean and Emily came around this afternoon. I admit, though, at the time, I did not think to interrogate them both in order to be sure. Then, both Sean and Emily signed the legal document. Or, at least I heard a sound that resembled pen on paper. But I cannot say for certain that it definitely was. Ben, who, by his own admission, had been feeling dizzy and sick all day, then appeared to sign the document as well, attesting that he had witnessed Sean and Emily's signature. I cannot offer any more information than that. I will leave it in your hands to decide how to proceed from here. As best man, it gives me no pleasure at all to pour doubt on the validity of my friend's upcoming matrimony, but I feel that it is my legal duty to point all this out. I've gotten into enough trouble with the law this year, so I feel as if I really can't afford to hide such truths from the authorities. I then had a feel of Sean and Emily's ring, by which I'm referring to their metal token of marriage, in case you were a bit confused and thought that they had then got both me and Ben to fondle their backsides, claiming that it was another legal requirement, as stated in the paperwork. Me being blind and Ben being ill, we would be easy targets for such a kinky fabrication. But again, let me state, in case the legal powers are listening to this, I am referring to their piece of jewellery. It was definitely not their backsides, unless their backsides are made of metal. Oh, hang on. Maybe they weren't the real Sean and Emily. Maybe they were robot versions. Hence the metal arses. Come to think of it, when I asked them both if they were well, they answered with, affirmative. I didn't think anything of it at the time. I held Sean's ring in my hand. This is the closest to Jungen's based erotic fan fiction that we're ever going to come to. I don't think that there is any Jungen's erotic fan fiction on the internet, although I haven't actually checked, so feel free to let us know if I'm wrong, Chloe. Our fans aren't even good enough to have set up a Wikipedia page about us, so it'd be a bit odd if someone had created a fan fiction site before we got a Wikipedia page. Feel free to start one, by the way, you ungrateful, lazy, good-for-nothings. I'm suggesting that you do a Wikipedia page for us, rather than a fan fiction site, just in case you're a little bit unsure. Other folk singers have Wikipedia pages, presumably set up by their fans. Bellowhead of one. Lau has one. What's wrong with our fans? Why are you all so lazy? And while you're at it, what about a Wikipedia page for me? Jules, don't even think about it. But the rest of you, come on. Anyway, where was I? Oh yes, I was fondling Sean's ring. As I mentioned previously in these dollops, I am not really good at this whole marriage thing. I don't have any sage words of advice to offer about table decorations and flowers, as became patently clear at the wedding fair. And similarly, I don't feel like I'm in a good position to be able to offer anything by way of an adequate comment about rings. To me, it just felt like a round bit of metal. But it's a round bit of metal. Didn't really seem like a particularly suitable comment. So... I just went, ah, in what I thought sounded like a nice, sentimental sort of sound, and hoped that it would suffice as a reasonable reaction. Then, I had a fondle of Emily's ring. It was a bit thicker than Sean's, with an indent in it. But again, it just felt like a round bit of metal. I went for the, ah, gambit again. Well, I think that my tale there was probably the most exciting, dramatic, and gripping story about a ring that has ever been written. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're going to struggle to name a better one. 
The vast majority of these dollops have been written with me sitting on my bed in my house in Sheffield, which is where I am right now. This is the bed. I just thought I'd bring the imagery to life for you there by tapping the bed. Tomorrow's dollop... The, obviously, the people who read this rather than listen to it don't get that kind of extra bit there. Tomorrow's dollop will be written in the car on the way to Heathrow Airport. And then... Who knows what will happen? I will be in Australia with my folk group The Young'uns for nearly a month. The majority of people access these dollops in their audio form, and I think that it's going to be the audio aspect of the dollops that will pose the greatest challenge. For a start, there is the issue of finding somewhere to record the audio. Tomorrow, for instance, I will be in a car, at an airport, and then on a plane. There are no other locations that I will be tomorrow other than those three. Unless something has gone awry, in which case the digital dollop will be the least of my concerns, while I am stranded in the middle of an ocean amongst the wreckage. Although, if I do somehow manage to pull off a dollop from the middle of an ocean, then that would be incredible, and it would get me great publicity. Not only would I have to record the dollop whilst treading water or clinging on to a bit of plane, but I'd also have to somehow utilise my laptop in order to edit and upload the audio. Actually, I think I could probably get away with not editing the audio on this occasion. I don't think that anyone is going to think, well, I'm impressed that he's managed to do a dollop after an emergency exit into the middle of the ocean, but his editing skills are rather under par. In fact, I'd go so far as to say he's not done any editing at all. There are loads of mistakes in this, especially those bits when he gets water in his mouth, which ideally would have been edited out, as they're completely unfathomable. I've no idea how I'd manage to read my braille display whilst treading water. I'd have to rest my laptop and braille display on top of some plane debris. Or maybe Sean would volunteer his head. After all, it's a very noble cause. Although I think if the plane did crash land in an ocean, and I'd somehow managed to survive the crash and keep my recording equipment intact, then I don't think I'd actually be bothered about reading that day's dollop that I had written an hour or so before this whole episode occurred. I think it's safe to say that I'd probably go off script on that occasion. It's not as if I'm going to start the recording as normal. David's Daily Digital Dollop. Dollop 68. Oh, and if you're wondering what that sound is, our plane has just crashed into the Indian Ocean. But that hadn't happened when I wrote this dollop, so we won't be talking about that today. Must stick to the script, ever the professional. I'll tell you all about that tomorrow, when I've properly written it up on my laptop. But right now, here's today's dollop, all about a rather amusing conversation that I had with one of the airline stewards. Even if I somehow did manage to record that day's dollop from the ocean, I would still then need to upload it to the internet. And I bet the Indian Ocean has really crap Wi-Fi. And those are the kinds of problems that I am no doubt going to face whilst in Australia. Because not only do I need to try and find the time and space to write the dollop, but then I need to find somewhere to read the dollop out for the audio version. Edit all my mistakes out, because my braille reading is terrible, and then find somewhere that is Wi-Fi. I can't use my phone's internet connection, because I'll be in Australia, and that would cost me hundreds of pounds. I was thinking of writing and recording some emergency dollops tonight, that I could schedule to publish, just in case I don't manage to release one. But that would require me doing them tonight, and I still need to pack, so that's not going to happen. Plus, I like the idea of the uncertainty aspect. I should have no issues uploading the written version of tomorrow's dollop from the airport, as I could use my mobile internet connection if necessary. But I will need Wi-Fi in order to upload the audio. Until tomorrow! Hopefully. Okay, this is attempt number two to record this dollop. I did record it before in the car but it was terrible. There's just lots of rumble sounds. So unfortunately, I recorded it in the car with Sean. It was quite good. We had a bit of banter going and things, and Sean was in absolute hysterical laughter at the quality of the jokes in this particular dollop. He nearly crashed the car. Fortunately, he didn't. Uh, we're at the airport now, and I'm recording this again because there was too much rumble 
And apologies if there are a few more mistakes in the reading of this than usual. I don't know if I'm going to have time to edit this. There is Dilly Digital Dollop. Dollop 68 pre-flight announcements. It's five o'clock in the morning and Sean and I are in the young'un's van heading to Heathrow Airport. I always get a mounting sense of paranoia towards flight departure time regarding my passport. I definitely have it. I've checked multiple times, yet this doesn't seem to temper my paranoia for long, as I then have to check my bag a few minutes later. This Paranoia is most likely due to previous passport-related dramas that I've either experienced or know about from other people. Apologies for the alarm sound. I've no idea what's going on. I think there's some sort of terrorist attack or something and the place has been evacuated, but I really must get this dollop uploaded, so I'm just going to risk my life for you. In 2007, Sea Shanty Group from Teesside, which Sean and I were in at the time, were booked to perform at a festival in Norway. The journey began with Sean and I getting on the first bus to Hartlepool to Middlesbrough at 6am. A journey that would take less than 20 minutes in a car, but takes just over an hour on a bus. At 7am, we arrived in Middlesbrough, where we were picked up by one of the other group members. We got into the car and drove a couple of more destinations in Middlesbrough to pick up some more people. We then began our journey to Manchester Airport. Five minutes into the journey, someone jokingly said, just make sure that we've all got our passports, shall we? I was 100% convinced that I had remembered. After all, I am not an idiot. But since everyone was getting their passports out and checking, I got mine out too. And indeed, as I already knew, it was there. As I said, I'm not an idiot. Or, in other words, I'm not Michael Hughes. But more on that story a little bit later. I pulled out my passport, which happened to open onto one of the pages. It was then that it all unravelled. Sean noticed the expiry date written on the passport. My passport was over a year out of date. There was no point in continuing the journey. I was driven back to Middlesbrough bus station, said goodbye to the others who recommenced their trip to Norway without me. While I waited at the bus stand for nearly half an hour for the next arrival. Let me just put uh, this into perspective now. I have now been joined by someone sitting next to me, so it may be a little bit intimidating to hear me just talking into a mic. It's really not too intimidating. I mean, they've joined me. They can actively see the fact that there is a tripod set up and that kind of thing. You may be able to hear a little bit of their conversation to people who've sat next to me. If you're not enjoying this, then maybe listen in the left speaker. Actually, it's in mono, so it won't make a difference. But you might be able to hear a little bit of their conversation anyway. Maybe you'll find that more interesting than what I'm talking about. But I'll continue with my story, and you can make that choice yourself. So I then had to wait at the bus stand for nearly half an hour for the next 36 bus to take me back to Harleybowl. I then got back on the same bus that I'd been on just an hour earlier. And when I say the same bus, that is precisely what I mean, because I also had the exact same driver who had taken me the opposite direction an hour before, who was rather amused to see me back on the bus with my suitcase and to hear about my plight. I arrived back at home just over an hour later. I'd set off from my house at about 6am, and rather than it being a journey to Norway, it was a round trip taking in such sights as the 36 bus, Middlesbrough's bus station, and I was back at about 9am. I then had some breakfast and headed to the post office where I'd gone less than 24 hours earlier in order to change some British money into euros. Less than 24 hours later, they were back into pounds, although with a few pounds lost due to the exchange rates. But at least I didn't forget my passport. Only an idiot would do that. 
In 2008, the young'un's very own Michael Hughes was at Heathrow Airport heading to Singapore for a couple of weeks, a much more lengthy and more expensive journey than my three days in Norway. Upon arriving at the airport check-in area, he realised that he'd forgotten his passport. In fairness, at least, he then had the presence of mind to formulate a plan. He called his mother and arranged for her to fly from Teesside to Heathrow Airport. If she was going to make it in time, she would have to leave the house immediately and time every traffic light perfectly. So out of the house she figuratively flew and then into Heathrow Airport she literally flew. She didn't actually see Michael because he'd already been whisked into a special area which she was being held in. His mother was unable to get to that place. So she had to hand the passport to a member of security staff. Michael's mother then got straight back on the next plane to Teesside. A member of security staff then brought the passport to Michael who hastily went through the rest of the checks in order to board the plane just in the nick of time. Except, then they found the drugs. Honestly, that's not true. That's a hilarious punchline. At that point, Sean nearly crashed the car. That's how funny that was. I hope my ability to influence events with this blog doesn't prove true today, given that yesterday I wrote about crashing into the Indian Ocean. But my main concern is that my airport anal cavity search dream doesn't come true that I wrote about in January. If it, I can tell you now it doesn't come true. I have not had an anal cavity search yet. There might be a last minute one that happens. But so far, no anal cavity search. If it does come true, then maybe I could get Sean to film the experience and uh, I could do a digital dollop while someone has their hand up my ass. I don't know whether that would be a ratings booster or a ratings crippler. I suppose it depends on how many friends you've got, Chloe. Oh, Sean. Hello, Hello Mr. Gurley. Yeah, absolutely fine. Nearly done. What, uh, and you've just been to get some food. What food have you got? Uh, ham and cheese croissant. Ham and cheese croissant. Have you recorded it again? I'm having to record it again just because the other one was terrible. So unfortunately, misses out all your hilarious lines. So we should arrive at the airport at about 8.30. We actually arrived just after 9 o'clock. Benefit of hindsight, ladies and gentlemen, oh, that the readers don't get. The early one, are we going to miss all that? Yeah, we're going to miss uh, that, unfortunately. I mean, I could maybe transcribe your lines <laughs> and add them <laughs> uh, retrospectively. We then have to go uh, through all of the various checks which we've done, which hopefully doesn't involve an annual cavity search. It didn't. Our flight is at 12, and so I am counting on having an hour to record and publish the audio version, providing that there is Wi-Fi. Apparently, Sean, there is Wi-Fi. He's already got emails through, so that's good. So this should be absolutely fine. I don't know why I'm telling you that, because you're listening to this, so you know that it is. I will then get on the plane, and I'll be on the plane for 22 hours. Tomorrow's dollop will probably be written and maybe even recorded on the plane. Depends whether they have hooks on the plane or not. Because my battery's more or less running out. It's a sort of retrospective commentary here that you're getting. It's all very unpredictable and hopefully exciting rather than just coming across to you as boring logistical talk. I think that it will be more interesting for the listeners to the audio dollop. Good luck at you, given Certainly the variety. Of people sat around, yeah. Exactly. Given the variety of locations that I'm going to try and record these from. Hence, an airport with other people sitting around me. I'm not sure how practical it's going to be recording from an airport. It's been all right. A few alarms going off and that kind of thing. And I think a plane might be rather awkward. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be difficult to do. Well, I might do it when we get to Australia. But anyway, don't worry. I'll be home from Australia in a month's time and we'll get back to providing you with uh, your favourite subjects, such as uh, my trips to Sainsbury's and anecdotes about my kettle. I delivered that a lot better 
in the van, didn't I, Mr. Cooney, that joke? But never mind. But I did, but never mind. But for now, you'll just have to put up with hearing about my adventures down under, which uh, most certainly do not involve inappropriate vegetable-based activity. Uh, for the people sitting next to me, that's a reference to a uh, blog from about seven days ago. Onwards and upwards, and then hopefully downwards and onwards again. 